Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to a special edition of the ROH Strong Podcast. I'm not going to waste any time with a long-winded introduction because my guest is none other than former WCW world champion, David Arquette. David, it is great to have you on. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, I got to ask you first off, how have you been doing these past several months of uh, quarantine and social distancing and all that stuff? Oh, man, I have two young kids and uh, one 16-year-old daughter, but uh, it's been tough with the kids and everything. It's been crazy, but, you know, everyone's healthy, so that's that's good. I'm just, I don't know. I think about everyone going through what they're going through. It's brutal, just yeah. really brutal. Crazy times for sure. So obviously we're going to be talking at length today um, about your documentary film. It's called You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which chronicles your pro wrestling comeback. The film premiered in drive-in theaters on August 21st, and it'll be available digitally and on demand starting August 28th. But first, I want to go back to the year 2000, when you won the WC World title, because that's basically when this whole pro wrestling journey starts for you. And I'm, I'm sure you don't remember this, but quick story. We actually met back then. I was the editor of WCW Magazine at that time, and I was there the night you won the title in Saratoga. Oh, wow. And I was at the hotel bar afterwards when you came in and you were the reigning champ and you bought a round of drinks for everyone in the bar. And I happened to be sitting at the bar when you came up to order the drinks and we started chatting. And I'll never forget this. You said to me, man, who are some of the guys that haven't won the title that deserve it? And I said, well, Booker T and Scott Steiner for starters. Wow. And I could, I could immediately just kind of shook your head and you're like, oh my God. And that's when I realized you totally got it. Like, I, I know you're a huge wrestling fan and you respect the business, you respect the people in it. So I could tell right then you were kind of embarrassed by it. And I guess, I mean, did you sort of know it was a bad idea right from the start? I kind of did. I mean, I was like, this is a terrible idea. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Dallas explained to me that you know, if, if you don't do it, then you're kind of just not involved in this whole thing. It's, it ends here. The promotion for the movie ends, the wrestling stuff ends. And, and that's where I was like, I thought it'd be more taken as like the first fan to be a champion. Like they'd understand, like, I don't know, like kind of wish fulfillment where, where people kind of always look at, the champion up there holding the belt and be like, Oh, it'd be so cool to be the champion. But I think the fact that I was an actor, I wasn't trained. I didn't really, you know, understand the business. Uh, I think that I had a lot to do with it. I understand it a lot more now, a lot, you know, why people got upset and uh, all that. But I thought it would be like more of a funny storyline rather than something that really, you know, offended people and, and sort of ruined, <laughs> ruined the company or something. I don't know. Like, I get blamed for taking the company down. I was like, well, I had nothing to do with AOL Time Warner no. merger. <laughs> no, I was one of the people who lost my jobs because of it. And, and trust me, oh, wow. I did not blame David Arquette for what happened. Oh, good. Well, thank you. 
I mean, look, as far as uh, WCW going out of business and actors being involved or celebrities, I think Jay Leno making Hulk Hogan sell for him in a match was way exposed to the business way more than anything you did. Um, <laughs> oh, and Vince Russo booking himself to win the title was worse than him booking you to win the title. So I don't think you have any guilt as far as WCW going out of business. Thanks. Um, you know, part of the reason Vince Russo did it is because he saw me walking around with the, like a little plastic kid's belt and I had all the, all the wrestlers backstage signing it. Ah. And he was like, oh man, this guy's an actual fan. And I'd always loved wrestling. I saw Hulk Hogan and, and Andre the Giant when I was younger and, um, and just loved Rowdy Rowdy Piper and uh, Macho Man, Miss Elizabeth I was in love with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that comes out in the film. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but yes, your, your love of Miss Elizabeth uh, definitely uh, shines through. Well, so we talked about how the fans reacted, but I'm curious because I wasn't in the locker room back at that time. Um, how did the boys react? Was there any, did you sense any animosity, whether it was outward or even kind of subtly? Yeah, uh, Hugh, uh, I think they did a gimmick with him called Huge Erection or something. Yes, <laughs> yes. But before they did that gimmick, he had come up to me I think, and he was pretty, he didn't, he didn't know what happened in the match. And I had told him, they made me the champion. He goes, this is for business. I can't take this business. He was really pissed. I, I got it. I mean, I understood, but I didn't really like, I don't know. I just didn't think it was as big a deal as it was. And I see it now, you know, that people work for it so much and, you know, it has this lineage and, you know, it represents all these years of training and, and just staying, you know, not being home for the holidays with their families and all the kind of stuff that you encounter on the road. So, you know, I get it now. Well, it had to hurt. I mean, for you being such a huge fan to then get the blame from wrestling fans, you know, who just obviously hated it and thought you disrespected the business. I think they saw you as, like you said, this Hollywood actor coming in, um, looking to publicize his movie, get in, get out, make a money grab. And, and I should point out that, and I, I know you probably wouldn't bring this up, but I will. You didn't make any money off of that. You donated all of your WCW salary to the families of Owen Hart, Brian Pillman, and Darren Drozdoff. So it was the exact opposite of that. But it had to obviously hurt your feelings, I mean, to be perceived that way when their perception was not who you are at all. It was more just being the butt of all the jokes and also being portrayed as like this wimpy, like kid who, who, you know, isn't tough at all. And, you know, can't, you know, I've learned something like aside from being big and strong is really great. If you're a wrestler, you can also, you have to be tough and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to be crazy. <laughs> and I can, I can out crazy anybody. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I learned a lot. Like, you know, I just didn't like being portrayed as this, like, little punk. Like, they don't know how I grew up, you know. <laughs> At one point, I think it might have been that night, I was like, or it was a couple nights later, I was like, I should just get in a fight with Tank Abbott because at least if I put up a, a good fight, you know, people would say, you know, because he was a shoot fighter, right. you know what I mean? And, and, you know, if I could hold my own with Tank, people would at least be like, oh, 
guy's crazy. <laughs> you know, he's nuts. Because <laughs> I'm I'm not afraid of getting knocked down or anything. It's, you know, I'm not. I'm just not afraid of certain things like that. Well, and I think anyone who sees you cannot kill David Arquette will see that that's that's not <laughs> uh, bluster on your part. That you're certainly a lot tougher than uh, I think a lot of people would give you credit for. Certainly a lot more than what they perceived of you from what they saw in in, in 2000. Um, yeah. So let's fast forward then to 2018. And this is where the film begins. Um, first off, I have to say, I watched it yesterday and I'm not blowing smoke. I absolutely loved it. Um, oh, thanks, man. I think pro wrestling fans will really enjoy it. But I don't think you necessarily need to be a wrestling fan to find it very entertaining. Uh, there's, there's humor, there's drama, there's some really touching moments. And it, it truly is a redemption story, I think, um, on multiple levels. I did, however, yeah. see more of you than I really needed to in a few of those <laughs> you know Sorry about saying. that. Yeah. I do. I'm sorry yeah. about that. I don't have any real... I mean, when you grow up as an actor, it's like you have to change in front of people. You get, like, very <laughs> used to just, you know, being pretty open and free about stuff like that, but... Yeah, I was not yeah, ready. I get spray, it. I was not ready for the spray tan scene. <laughs> yeah, or the or the waxing my butt. Yes. I mean, really, there's some things in there. I, I apologize beforehand. <laughs> there should be a trigger warning, but uh, you know, <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's you know, I wanted to do it as a love letter to wrestling and to wrestling fans, but I did also want to do a film that spoke to you know the film audience, which I've been a member of the community for. 30 years so it was a little both it was like an i also thought of it as like an unauthorized sequel to ready to rumble i tried to get scott con to be in it but he was like i don't want to be in a documentary uh you know but thankfully diamond dallas page was because i went to a ddpy retreat and uh and his ddpy uh, system helped me lose 50 pounds he really got me on the road to getting my uh, weight in check and, and getting back in shape and being flexible and ready for the ring. Uh, was making the film cathartic for you? It was, yeah. I mean, it captured my life at a place that I'd been working toward for a long time, dealing with personal issues, abuse issues, uh, substance and physical, and just kind of... Uh, coming to terms with a lot of the pain that I had growing up and sort of what triggered me and, you know, got me, uh, you know, just would be, I beat myself up is what, what it'd be. I just ended up beating myself up for years and, you know, trying to escape numb pain. So all of that sort of came to a head during this, this filming. So it captured it. It really is like, captured a time in my life where I was going through a, an experience that I think we, we captured and that people could share. And hopefully if anybody's going through things like that, they could find some strength from it. It's kind of why, you, you know, why you make art in the first place is to touch people, to entertain people, to, you know, help people to, you know, like show people that you're not alone kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's when I said it's a, it's a redemption story that works on multiple levels. That's what I was alluding to that. Yes, there's the obvious story of the wrestling redemption, but it's really just kind of, uh, uh, like you said, going through a tough time and we watch you go through it and um, you know, no spoilers, but <laughs> I think we, you know, there is a, 
think there is a happy ending. Um, so let me ask you this, though. This is, I guess, the obvious question. When you start this wrestling comeback, you're 46 years old. You have a wife and kids. I assume you're doing well financially, judging by your house in the, in the film. Um, and oh, by the way, you suffered a heart attack not long before and had two stents put in. Why at that point in your life decide to go back and do wrestling for real this time, not just for a stunt? Well, I, I kind of had a heart attack. I had a really bad reaction to a stress test in the hospital. Okay. So I, they were able to give me medicine right away. So I didn't go into cardiac arrest, but, um, but I did, you know, I felt like I was having a heart attack. I you know, was freaking out. And then I had to go get the surgery to get two stents put in. But after I came out of that surgery, I mentioned to my wife, you know, I've been thinking a lot about wrestling. <laughs> she was like, what are you talking about? You just nearly went through this whole thing. I was like, I know, I can't, I can't get it out of my mind. It was one of the major things I thought about, like, as you see your life kind of flashing by. So I knew I had to sort of address it. I knew I had to lose weight. I knew that it was like an unfinished thing in my life. You know, I never, I didn't want people to define me. I wanted to define myself and, and let people know who I am. Sort of uh, take on the challenge, meet these wrestling fans, uh, gain the, the respect of the guys in the locker room, and uh, just honor wrestling. I, I love this sport, and I, I love it even more now that I've gotten to, you know, wrestle some greats like the honky tonk man i mean that was a dream come true and he sold for me the reason he sold for me is because right before our match there was like a a merch kind of thing and people were going around and so i went and i found a honky tonk uh like action figure at somebody's booth and then i went and i insisted on paying honky tonk to sign it and he was really gracious about that so that when we got into the match, he sold for me. <laughs> RJ, a city who's my tag team partner, was like, I can't believe he sold for you. Yes, that like, is a high compliment. Honky Tonk. Yeah, it, it was really high compliment. He was so gracious. And, and like being in the same ring and, and, and uh, the mouth of the South was there. And Greg Valentine, I was just literally like blown away. Yeah, see, that's, I don't find it like unbelievable that he would sell for you because you were trained at that point and you were in great shape and you were legitimately being a pro wrestler. You weren't being a celebrity doing a spot. It's like the Jay Leno thing, you know, when he came in out of shape and he's, you know, doing an arm ringer on Hogan and Hogan selling it like that takes me out of the moment. But I think yeah. because you got yourself prepared that people really did start to look at you as, all right, he's, he's a wrestler. He belongs in there. And, these legends selling for him is not far-fetched. So Yeah, totally. It was, it was really a kind of a dream come true to be able to, to, to go and tour and meet all these guys. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Wrestling's so intense. It's so much more intense than anybody knows. Like, you know how hard it is on their bodies and, and how excruciating it is, but it's – even way beyond that, <laughs> it is so painful and so never-ending. You really have to build your stamina up and your tolerance to pain. I I had this saying like, "Don't worry if your neck really hurts after this match. Your 
back's gonna hurt even worse <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you literally trade off pain it's like now your back's not hurting and it's your ankle and then your ankle kind of starts feeling better and then your knees are shot you know it's it just never ends and it's so intense and the 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 schedule and the you know the constant uh just going around and, and dealing with you know all the dynamics that you deal with in the wrestling world that still have all these holdovers from a carny existence it's pretty wild <laughs> i heard you in the film refer to yourself as a, as a carny at heart <laughs> i am I, i've always had a dream of like running away with the circus <laughs> all that kind of stuff so yeah i i i understand the carny lifestyle well in the film you allude to the fact that your pro wrestling uh stint in wcw probably didn't do your acting career any favors do you think this time, by virtue of this documentary, wrestling actually in a full circle kind of way could actually be a, a boost? And did that play any part in why you did the documentary? Um, I think it will have like a positive effect. I mean, only because I learned so much through the process of making this about acting. Like there's a lot of elements of wrestling and acting that you know, people blow off wrestlers as actors. I mean, even though The Rock's the most successful actor in the business right now, I think, you know, the fact that Stone Cold or, or Ric Flair don't have a show on CBS, it's just like a cop show. Stone Cold doesn't have a buddy cop show. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's just ignorance of Hollywood. So that was part of it as far as, uh, you know, I, we recently cast Mick Foley in 12 hour shift and uh, Joseph Rudd, uh, who's was Eric Rowan in the last film we did uh, ghost of the Ozarks. So I want to, I want to help merge wrestling in Hollywood. That's part of the reason I came back. And, you know, if it does do well, it's always like your last film helps, but I didn't really didn't do it for that intention. I did it more so, um, to figure out like to to get to know what what wrestling is like why people got so upset with me <laughs> when you first started learning how to work in the ring um i know you just alluded to all the aches and pains and things like that but when you first started getting in there and really learning the craft was it harder than you thought it would be yeah it was i mean the first time i worked out with peter avalon my trainer who's an incredible wrestler at aew I um I threw up, you know, uh, you know. I also worked with Tyler Bateman one time at, at Santino Brothers, and uh, you know, was trying to learn a, a, a I think it was a, a I don't know some arm toss or something, but it was where you had to talk and roll, and obviously you do your rolls all the time, but. This was a, a quick one where I had to really, you have to really sort of do it quickly. And I kind of didn't completely kind of land it on my head. You just learn certain things. Like there's, there's an element of you have to really go for stuff. You have to practice it a ton of times so you're not like going in cold, but you really have to commit to stuff. Like if you half ass a, a some sort of cannonball into the corner, you're going to land on your neck. You know, you have to really 
be ready for that. So I learned a lot of that. But shortly after, after my first four-man lucha match in Tijuana, I, uh, I broke, I cracked three ribs. So I had a fractured, three fractured ribs. Uh, and then I had to keep taking these bombs and just prepare for my matches and go on the road and do tag team matches. But I was taking these bumps on broken, on fractured ribs. And I don't know if you've ever had a fractured rib. It just makes coughing and breathing and sneezing. Like, those are really incredibly painful. So if you can imagine taking bumps on those, I literally, like, when I think about it, I have this sense memory in my bones and just, like, ugh, like, it's just such an internal all-over pain. I can't even explain to people how... Yeah, so when you get into the ring, all of this stuff happens. You know, some people, like a lot of the time, the pros are just such pros for a reason. They make it easy. They make you look good, you know. But I'm not I, – I, I'm limited in what I can do. So a lot of the time, it'd be like not <laughs> – so I have some – I have some matches on, on the internet that are just so clunky and terrible, and they just happen to be some of the – bigger ones that I had done so I guess they'll just live forever and you live and learn you'd have to kind of move on to the next stuff but you know I was I am the type that beats myself up so I had to learn how to not keep going back to like like criticizing myself just more so learn from my mistakes and and move on well I think and yeah I think we're all our own worst critics but I think you know, you'd have to grade yourself sort of on a curve, you know, again, being 46 years old, it's not, it's not really the, the prime time to get into pro wrestling. Um, and just basically given that crash course and then going in and working matches, like, I mean, when you look at it that way, I think, you know, at least from what I've seen, I mean, your matches were, again, on that, on that curve, they were outstanding. And you oh, look like you belong. Sure, maybe there were clunky moments, but you know what, even the best have those moments so i wouldn't yeah. wouldn't you know beat yourself up too bad about that no thanks I want to ask you about your your approach like we hear about actors all the time that transform their bodies for roles whether it's gaining weight losing weight adding muscle um is that how you approached your training for the ring at all like you were preparing for a role because like you said you lost 50 pounds you quit smoking you quit drinking was that sort of the mindset yeah absolutely you know, DDPY helped me a lot just sort of get inspired to get moving. That's what he's incredible at is his uh, ability to inspire people. So that helped a lot. And then, you know, I did no carbs, uh, changed my like meal regimen. So smaller meals, no late meals, um, you know, no sugar, bread, rice, pasta, potatoes, none of that, like for months. Um, and then cardio, I was doing jujitsu with Hegan Mochado. I was doing boxing with Ricky Kiez. I was doing wrestling with Peter Avalon. So that's a ton of cardio there, but I was also taking hikes. It's just when you get into that zone, when you have to shred and you have to like really get in great shape, everything in your life becomes geared toward that goal. So you just kind of you know you just kind of put your head down and just move forward it's it's kind of like it's it's like if you're you're trying to like you have a bunch of stuff in your garage or something and it looks so 
massive to like, oh, how am I ever going to clean up my garage? <laughs> but if you start just with one little corner and one little box or one little thing, you just start going through it. And before you know it, if you put in enough time, you clean it up. And it's the same concept with all this stuff. You know, if you really put your mind to it, you put the time in, even something that seems insurmountable can be achieved. Well, and I think the fact that you did really put that effort into it, I mean, I think that's what, I think that's what will impress wrestling fans when they watch this, this film, because you did what Ric Flair always talks about. You bled, you sweat, you paid the price. And you weren't just wrestling on high profile indie shows either. I mean, you literally wrestled in someone's backyard. Uh, and you wrestled in front of a really small crowd in, in Tijuana before you started building up to the higher profile indie shows. I wanted to ask you about that Tijuana show. Did anyone know, did any of the fans know that that was you under the mask? No, I don't think so. It was cool. And, and a little shout out, like I, <laughs> I wore a, like a blue and pink as a little, uh, a little wink and nod to, uh, Bret Hart. I love Bret Hart. <laughs> so a lot of people don't know that, but that's why I got that, that thing made. I had had it made already and I brought it down there. I didn't know if I was going to use it. I had all these different costumes made by incredible people. Isla Erickson did a bunch of my uh, gear and um, uh, Juan Guerrero did my boots and a couple of my gear. He did that, uh, that, uh, outfit for the lucha match but no i don't think a lot of people knew it was me and uh i didn't know how it was going to turn out they you know only one of them really spoke english it was really kind of uh the people i was involved with didn't really speak english so they're kind of like telling you what to do and <laughs> it's sort of like a, a funny way but when it like came it just all kind of clicked and i just really went for it and they're such tremendous tremendous wrestlers and there's such a love for wrestling it's almost uh it's not religious but there is like a real you know a real passion and love for wrestling and honor to it like i did something <laughs> it's funny it didn't make it in the movie but my first move and i, I came up with it because a lot of this stuff like you're telling a story in the ring so my stuff would always be and i don't know if i'm this is kind of a uh insider's uh, I mean, ROH has real true fans. So, oh yeah, no, I hope we, I don't we, we not pr not protecting them all the time. Go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. So <laughs> I came up with this idea because my stuff would always be like I would want to hit somebody and hurt them, kind of thing. I'd have to like they'd come at me and I would dodge and they take a turnbuckle. That's a good way for me to hurt somebody because I kind of outsmart them, but I'm not overpowering them. You know, you just think logically about how to tell a story with keeping you know their shine intact and not sort of making them look weak but then also being able to pull something over so you could try to sneak something it's kind of the way I, I my wrestling like my finishing move at WCW was someone would beat me up and then someone would come out and beat them up and then they'd roll me on top of them for the way. Right. <laughs> so, that's the extreme. That's kind of what I didn't want to do, but how do you do it without? So one of my ideas was I got all fired up and I clotheslined all the four guys we were wrestling. And then I clotheslined the ref 
Oh, no. And then I clotheslined all four guys on my team. And then I clotheslined the ref. And then they're like, calm down, calm down. And I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And then they made me go around and apologize to each court, like each side of the audience. Because it was disrespectful that I hit the ref like that. And that we're the, we're the baby faces. So it's just such an interesting lesson to learn in the, uh, the mentality and the storytelling. Well, I think that should be in the DVD extras because that's pretty funny. It was really fun. It was a good bit. And it, it's like you come across some things like that and they kind of work wherever you do them. Yeah. People like it's, it's the great combination in wrestling of when you can in, infuse humor into the actual match. Absolutely. I love when that happens. I did, had a great match with uh, Shane Helms against uh, King Brian at Northeast Wrestling. And uh, 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 Anthony Battle, uh, and then we uh, we did this one thing where they kind of, you know, it's a funny gimmick where he kind of gets them both in the corner and kicks kicks them, and they're kind of like, hum- looks like they're kind of humping each other, <laughs> kind of <laughs> juvenile, silly kind of thing, but it's kind of evergreen stuff like yep, that. Just definitely. is fun for people to watch, even though it might not be PC now. Yeah. Well, I love Shane too. I, I go back 20 years with uh, Shane Holmes too. He Greatest. was your, um, he was your uh, stunt double back for ready to rumble. Wasn't he? If I remember. Yeah, he sure was. And I, you know, as much as I helped produce this thing where my wife really produced this documentary, um, she kicked me out of the editing room at one point because I was like, make sure to get Shane in there, make sure to get all these different things. And yeah, I don't know if we should include that. They just had to get me out of there. So I wish there was more Shane Helms in there. Yeah. But the rest of the directors, David Darg and James Price were incredible, but they weren't, they were wrestling fans when they were younger, but they didn't really get the whole scope of it. And they don't understand certain elements so uh you know that was just my own personal (laughs) back and (laughs) forth with them there's so many fun things that happen with me and rj on the road that just aren't in the the documentary that is really one of the funnier moments i mean me and rj's uh dynamic is that he always comes out and he always just berates me and says (laughs) he apologizes to the audience and he says "I, i you know can't believe I'm wrestling with you. And he turns to me and says, you're the most talentless person I have ever met. <laughs> and it just gets the, the crowd all hot. That Then it's like three uh, heels against one baby face. So when something happens to him and he gets beat up, it's, it becomes this real fun dynamic where it just gets the audience into it really quickly. Yeah, it appeared you guys had really good chemistry, uh, you and RJ City. And I love the segment where, um, you know, as we're talking about pulling the curtain back a little bit, um, I think it would, it's kind of cool to give fans a glimpse of when two guys are, you know, opponents. Obviously, I think every fan knows that it's, it's really we're working together, not necessarily, you know, we're trying to make a fight look real and we're working as partners, even though we may be portraying opponents. And I thought that was kind of cool where we saw you guys kind of going over the spots and then saw the spots taking place. Cause I don't think that's something fans get to see a lot of. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, I had to talk to Yuma who was the booker and, and producer on that. And, and uh, Nick 
the the referee. I, I made sure to call them, made sure they were all right with it. Yeah, I think RJ had a lot to do with sort of the construction of that that scene and dynamic. And you know, I was concerned that we're showing sort of too much behind the curtain, but um, but I had, was told that it had been done before. It wouldn't yep. have been the first time, and that the place where wrestling is now, that people are so smart on it, that it'd be interesting for them to see. And it's also something that I personally need to do because I, of my inexperience that I really need people to spell it out and really, you know, understand what the dynamic is and how, you know, how I, I feel about that, how that makes me feel, how I'm trying to make the audience feel. So whenever I can really walk through those points, uh, it, it always pays off. I mean, I really love storytelling in the ring, in a match. I think it's it's what I loved about some of the older wrestlers and all really great matches. Did you ever have a moment where, um, I guess this would be the equivalent of an actor forgetting his lines in a live performance. Um, was there ever a moment where you, you got lost in the ring and someone had to <laughs> so many, I, I get lost all the time. I get really <laughs> into character. So I'm like selling and like, you feel like I'm dying, but, um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I got lost a few times. One time early in the WCW times, uh, uh, Jeff Jarrett's like, nut shot, nut shot, nut shot. I'm like, what, what's going on? He's just beat the hell out of me. And they say, nut shot, nut shot, nut shot. And I'm like, what is he saying? I was like, what are you saying? He's nut shot. <laughs> like, oh, boom. <laughs> but that was the first time I ever froze and didn't know where the heck I was. But it happens a lot. You be, I mean, not only that, but like, you know, nearly like, getting hit and be like don't pass out don't pass out don't pass out. <laughs> and then you're telling yourself well if you're telling yourself this is a whole conversation going on in my brain i was like if you're telling yourself not to pass out you didn't pass out i was like okay good <laughs> but then i have to figure out where i am and where i'm supposed to be and where i shouldn't be and, right. you know well i gotta ask you about some of the more uh brutal uh moments that you had in matches because I think, again, you wanted to prove something. You wanted to come back, not do comedy spots, do real matches. I think you could have done that and just had, you know, regular, quote-unquote, regular wrestling matches. Why do the, the backyard match where you get thrown on the thumbtacks and get beaten up by a bunch of backyard wrestlers? Why do the death match with uh, Nick Gage, which is really hard to watch? And I know that's kind of the point of it, is, is we really want to see what the stuff is like. Did you feel like you needed to go through that kind of stuff just to really show fans, like, I I'm in this for real? Um, I mean, was it suffering for your art? Like, what? Why, why go to those extremes? There's a few things about that. We wanted to start sort of at the bottom, you know what I mean, and work our way up into the independent scene. Yep. You know, they didn't know how much wrestling I was actually going to do. You know, they didn't come on the road and film a lot of that. You know, a lot of that was just all on, on me and RJ and, and what we did. Um, so the backyard wrestling, like backyard wrestling was kind of just starting out when I became champion. 
But then I've noticed that a lot of wrestlers, like the Young Bucks and just different people had experienced that coming, like going up and becoming wrestlers. So we wanted to honor that and like show it. We wanted to show the different sort of worlds of wrestling. Um, I mean, in a sequel, in a dream world sequel, it would be like also go to Japan, and go back down to Central and South America, and, you know, just show some of the really crazy stuff that, that's there. But um, we wanted to sort of, you know, climb the ladder and we wanted to lean into it as far as, you know, showing that it was, it is a really brutal sport and that it's so much more real than people understand. We wanted to give people a bit of an education on uh, what wrestling is, especially to people who have never really been fans. So we wanted to give them like different levels, but then the death match, you know, I wasn't supposed to do it. Uh, one of the filmmakers was in town just by chance. And I said, well, you know, I got this match tonight. Just came up. Someone had dropped out and, and they asked me to do it. It's against Nick Gage. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. And, uh, and, but nobody really, you know, I mean, everyone in the business kind of knew, but I didn't know. I thought I wasn't really clear on what's the difference between a hardcore match and a death match. I mean, I knew that you know, okay, you can't use tax or light tubes or something. I wasn't really scared of stuff like that. I mean, like I said, I'm pretty crazy, so I could go for some crazy stuff. So I agreed to light tubes, but uh, <laughs> they they take four together now. I was like, oh, there's four of them. <laughs> you know, it was all the whole time. It was kind of like, oh, uh, what have I gotten myself into? And it was just a kind of crazy night. The whole night kind of turned. But it was my fault that I got cut in the neck. I, uh, I learned a big lesson. And the lesson is, even if stuff is going kind of south and, and wrong, uh, you should stick to the plan and remain calm and not panic. And I kind of panicked and I pulled his legs when I wasn't supposed to. And the light tube came and hit me in the neck. So, you know, for everything that I don't know what people know about Nick Gage, he's a really talented wrestler. I'm, I got nothing bad to say about him. We, you know, we, it was, there's things happened, but you know, I was out of line a couple of times. I kicked him from behind when I wasn't supposed to earlier in the match. Cause things had happened earlier than that, that were kind of like, what the f uh, so there was stuff going on. It was a, it was a complicated match, but uh, all in all, I think, uh, it served its purpose. I learned a lot. I learned <laughs> I probably won't ever do another death match again. Yeah. But uh, um, I also learned the difference between, you know, that people, some people frown on death matches. But the other thing is, you know, it kind of encapsulated what I was going for. I, was, I came into that match with people just hating me, and I won the crowd over by the end. So that sort of was the point of the match in the first place. You know, like, you can't, like I didn't want people to say I was a piss anymore. <laughs> so no, no better way to do that than take on, like, one of the toughest guys in that business and, you know, stay on my own to a certain extent. Well, anyone who says you're still a after that, um, 
All I say is I'd like to see them get in the ring with Nick Cage in a death match. I think they might have oh, a, a different story. And I, it, it was Well, strange. I'll tell you, if you do, you can wear whatever you want. You don't have to be <laughs> – you don't have to have like a – you know, just shorts on. Right. You can really, you know, you can really put on some pads. You don't need to wear the spandex, right? For the yeah, yeah, exactly. It's more like a shirt. You can put on a shirt and like layer it. <laughs> yes, well, I'll tell you, man. It was it was scary watching it. Um, I don't think it's really hyperbole to say you could have died. I mean. You cannot was, David Arquette could not have been the name. It would have been a whole other film if that, you know, turned out a different way. So it really was scary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you think when it happened, like, I could die here? Yeah, I thought I was dying. So I tried to pin him <laughs> really quickly. Just in like, you know, I wasn't supposed to win the match. So in some hopes that he would, like, let me win? I don't know <laughs> what I was thinking. But I wanted to go out a winner. And I was just like, so I tried to pin him a couple times and he kicked out, obviously. You tried to, you tried to double cross. I tried to double cross. I didn't know. I thought, like, in my head, like, if I'm going, like, let me go out a winner. <laughs> but uh, but then uh, I got up and I got out of the ring and uh, I heard Luke Perry's voice because he's Jungle Boy's father, Jack Perry, amazing wrestler and i think he's gonna be just a huge movie star at some point but i i heard luke luke's voice and he said davy it's luke and i took my hand off i said luke is it pumping and he said it's not pumping so i knew at that point i wasn't like i didn't know how bad it was because it hurt like hell and and uh you know everything hurt like hell at that point but uh so i did want to sort of finish I, it was kind of a clunky finish still, but at least we got it, got it over with. Yeah, still, again, a, a testament to your toughness. You went back and finished the match, and I'm sure a lot of people um, would have, once you left, I think they would have just kept on going straight to the hospital. So, again, a credit to your toughness. If anybody want to say, say David Arquette isn't tough, you went back and finished the match with blood spurting out of, out of the side of your neck. So, yeah, um, thanks. Well, I know we only have a few more minutes, so I'll just get to my uh, my last few questions here. You haven't had a match since January, and I'm assuming some of that is because of the pandemic and indie wrestling's basically been shut down since March. Is your in-ring career, is it over? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a big saying that once you're in the business, you're sort of in it for life. Once you get the bug, you like love it. If you love it, you love it forever. So... I don't know. I mean, I love wrestling as a tag team with RJ. That's sort of my favorite version. I don't mind, like, being a manager as well because I like helping, like, bring a shine to people and being involved. And, you know, Piper and Heenan are, like, the greatest. MJF, I love what he's doing. But um, Dalton Castle is an incredible wrestler and – I, I don't know. I I always wanted to wrestle him with, with RJ or something in some sort of tag version. But um I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I, I don't know if I'll ever get back in the ring to be honest. It's, I'm so removed from it now and it all lives in this film. Right. And I I don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean 
it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing because as much as I love wrestling, there's also something that I just it like is so not only painful, but it's it it's so anxiety. Like I just I'm a nervous mess, you know, and it doesn't help. You can't you shouldn't be nervous in the ring, you know. It just doesn't add to like you know being able to take your time and be calm. So I don't know the answers. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, you mentioned Dalton Castle. I, I personally, as a fan, I would love to see you and Dalton Castle do something in the ring. And, and uh, I know some people in the office in ROH, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plant that seed if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. As long as RJ can be there some way. Maybe it's him and RJ and I'll be a, a, a heel uh, manager. I don't know. Oh, I, I would love to. He's such a talented wrestler, man. He's just one of the greats. I understand you were at a Ring of Honor show back in February in Nashville. Is that is that correct? Is my info correct? Yeah, yeah, it is. I I got to know uh, Dalton during this whole time. So uh, we moved to Nashville, and now uh, yeah, I get to see him more often. Okay. Well, I'm going to try and squeeze in one non wrestling question if if you'll allow. Sure. I'm a huge fan of the Scream franchise, so I'm thrilled to hear that there's going to be a Scream 5. Just real quick, what are your thoughts on uh, returning to Woodsboro again? And uh, when does filming start? Has it, has it started already or no? There's no official start date yet. Courtney Cox signed on and I've signed on. We're waiting and have our fingers crossed that Neville sign on because yep. she's really the heart and soul of the, of the whole thing. So that's sort of where we are now just in a holding pattern we have the guys from radio silence who directed the film ready or not they're directing it which was a really fun film i think they um have the right attitude they were inspired by west so i think they'll do it justice and kevin williamson's on board so i think it's going to be a really fun exciting relaunch of the brand but um i don't know when it'll start okay also, one more thing. I think Eight-Legged Freaks is highly underrated. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I just I moved into this house in, in uh, Nashville, and it's got a brown recluse oh. problem. Oh, my God. There's these deadly spiders. And we're like, <laughs> we're like in the middle of this pandemic, and then we move, <laughs> and we're in this house with these deadly spiders. And I was like, this is payback for eight-legged freaks yes. <laughs> it really is something all right well one more time i'm just going to get it out there it is called you cannot kill david arquette the documentary on uh, david arquette's return to the pro wrestling ring i have my information right here in front of me that it's available on digital and on demand august 28th across online on digital platforms itunes vod est and e-retail on Amazon, Walmart, Target, and Best Buy. Well, David, thanks so much for being uh, so generous with your time today. It was, it was great uh, talking to you again after 20 years. And, uh, man, good luck with everything going forward. Hey, thank you. I love ROH, and you have incredible talent over there. I, uh, I'm a huge fan. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thank you. Up next, I'll be speaking to one of the men who helped train David Arquette for his return to the ring, ROH's own Bateman. 
Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Monday, the same day as this podcast, as we catch up on all the groundbreaking ROH news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars. We also have some really great weekly segments like Question of the Week and my personal favorite, the Week by Week Physique. Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, welcome back to the ROH Strong Podcast. My next guest is ROH's self-described handsome sociopath with violent tendencies. He is Bateman. Bateman, welcome to the show. Okay. Uh, well, I always ask my guests what they've been doing during quarantine these past several months, but I'm almost afraid to ask you. I can only imagine with a guy like you with so much free time on his hands, but uh, what have you been up to? Well, idle hands are the devil's play thing, Kevin, and uh, I've been making good use of those. So have you binge watched any shows by any chance during this time? Uh, I think like most of America, uh, watched Tiger King. Okay. It was an interesting slice of life. I actually had once Joe, Joe Exotic actually, I did commentary over one of my matches Ah, once years ago. That's interesting. Yeah. I was watching this show the other night called Helter Skelter, an American myth. It immediately uh, reminded me of someone that you know. Why would that be, Kevin? It's, uh, I don't know, I saw some similarities between Vincent and, uh, and the guy on this uh, Helter Skelter show. That they were. Did, did you see that at all, possibly? You see the connection? Uh, with the Beatles? Not really. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> well the reason I, I really invited you on today was uh, in part to talk about uh, David Arquette. We had him on the show earlier, and he mentioned that he did some training uh, for his pro wrestling return under your guidance. So I just wanted to ask you, what were some of the things that, uh, that you worked on when he was uh, training under you? I basically put him through the same type of uh, warm-up and conditioning that I put through any students. through. So a lot of checking his footwork, having him pet the ropes, going over uh, basic bumps and fundamental uh, holds. And, uh, yeah trying to get uh, trying to see what he had uh, what he had already picked up on and what we might need to work on because we had a limited amount of time I wanted him to come away with uh, something okay well you got to see him him work uh, after that uh, how do you think he did uh, I definitely think he he picked up enough of what everyone was showing him to uh, get through and not die. <laughs> okay. Well, as you know, uh, Arquette is the, uh, is the star of the Scream franchise series. I know that you are a horror film aficionado. Are you a fan of the Scream films, or are they too tame for your tastes? Uh, I feel it's a, good, uh, it's a good starting point. <laughs> Get uh, 
get a few classics under your belt and then maybe uh, dive into the Scream series. At least the first, uh, definitely the first one, at the very least. You know, mixed feelings as it goes throughout. The first one's definitely good. When you watch those movies, do you, do you find yourself uh, pulling for Ghostface or for the victims? Or do I, is that a stupid question? Do I, do I already know the answer? I don't think you have a fair idea. Yeah. All right, well, some of these questions have kind of been tongue-in-cheek, but now I have to ask you a, a serious question. Um, ever since your leader or guru, or I, I don't know exactly what you want to refer to him as, but Vincent, ever since he attacked Matt Taven in his own home back in June, no one has seen or heard from Taven. Can you possibly shed any light on Taven's disappearance? Kevin, I feel if uh, Matt has something to say about where he is or what's going on, he'd probably make his voice all seen, make himself seen, make his voice heard. Okay. The, uh, the whereabouts or well-being of Matt Taven, not my concern. Did you find it at all out of line, Vincent attacking the man in his own home? Uh, I think it's uh, 2020 and Matt Taven should probably lock his doors. Well, that's a good point, I guess. Um, uh, let me just, again, ask you another question about Vincent. W what is it about him specifically that made you want to associate yourself with him in Ring of Honor? Never met someone, Kevin, just instantly you feel that the two of you understand each other on a deeper level than most folks do. You can't quite put your finger on it, but maybe this was meant to happen. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of had that feeling. Um, maybe not necessarily with a, uh, a guy with Vincent's uh, mentality, but I guess I kind of get what you're saying there. Deep, deep connection. Um, well, let me ask you, uh, when we start running shows again and The Righteous is back in action, what can we expect from Vincent, yourself, Chuckles, Vita? What, uh, what does The Righteous have planned? You guys have had six months to plan something, so I can only imagine what it is, but anything you can tell us? I could try to spend my time, spend these next few minutes explaining the things that you'll see, and the things that everyone else will experience. But most people these days, this day and age, don't like spoilers, so I could tell you. Or I could let you sit in terrible anticipation and we can show you. Mm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't see it as a spoiler so much as maybe a, a, a warning that we could potentially give people. But I guess that would, that would, that would spoil it for you. Take away that element of surprise. Well, uh, Bateman, is there anything else on your mind before we uh, wrap up? Do you have any final message? The, the, the airwaves are yours. Anything you'd like to say directly to the Ring of Honor fans or any of the Ring of Honor competitors? It's a storm building, man. Good times, Kevin. All right. Well, uh, on that note, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. 
at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com slash Ring of Honor. For news of when and where future episodes of the ROH Strong podcast will be available. Stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH Strong. <laughs>